There are some ingredients that ought not to be left out, and when they are, it really makes a difference. Uh, some of us uh, have had enough bad experiences in the kitchen to know that very well. There are some ingredients that you uh, really don't want to leave out, and if you do, it will make quite a difference. So here's an example, salt. Uh, you think just into the most simplest of, of dishes, simplest of, of meals, uh, the, the, the effect that salt can have, uh, drawing out flavor and just transforming the culinary experience. I mean, just, just very simply, just imagine with me, you know, French fries without salt, potato chips without salt. I know, I'm getting the, the, the expressions in your faces. Popcorn without salt, corn on the cob without salt. And it's, it's, it's anathema, isn't it? I mean, it's just, uh, you can't imagine it. Um, those, those little grains are so small, right? And yet it would seem that they have a way of making quite a difference. And, and we feel it, we feel it, we know it in, in their absence. And no few of you know, I'm, I'm sure, maybe even grew up with this as part of your experience, depending on what part of the country and what era you grew up in. It's, it's, it's not just that salt has it's a beneficial effect in terms of seasoning, but up until when electricity came along and technology regarding refrigeration came along, I mean, salt was not just for seasoning, but salt was a thing of preserving you know, if, you, if you wanted to keep meat for any period of time at all, you, you had to rub it down into that meat and, and such that it would not spoil and it wouldn't rot. And again, you can really tell when the seemingly small thing is, is missing because this, in that moment, that missing ingredient has, you might say, quite an impact by its, its, its absence. We think of the local church, this one or anyone, uh, and its, its inner life and its outward face to the world, what might be a crucial missing ingredient? And by its absence, changes everything, and not for good. Jesus speaks to that in our text this morning, John 13. Uh, this is where we've been the last few weeks. This is the third and a three-parter in John 13, 34 to 35. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn there now with me, or you can just follow on the screen if you'd like to. Uh, John 13, 34, 35, we're going to continue to drill down uh, into this extraordinarily significant text. Uh, John 13, verses 34 through 35. Hear now the Word of God. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, would you pray with me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord Jesus, 
We need these words. We need this prayer. So we join with David there in those words from Psalm 139 and come to you humbly asking that you would teach and direct our hearts that our very thoughts, our words, our actions, our steps, all our thoughts and words and doings, all our days and all our hours would be infused, transformed by the powerful, life-altering love of Jesus, that our very hearts would be overcome and undone in the best possible sense, that you would make us not just hearers but doers of the Word. These words from John 13 that are so simple and so obvious and so clear. None of us have this figured out. All of us fall short. And we need so desperately, Jesus, your mercy. Starting with your mercy just to hear. That we would hear. So we ask you now this morning, in these minutes ahead that you would truly make us what we claim to be, your disciples. Amen. In the summer of 2014, Mosul, Iraq, was overrun by radical jihadists from ISIS. And uh, as those radical jihadists overran that city, they instituted Sharia law, and therein set into motion some violent persecution against the Christians of Mosul. Their message basically was this. Convert, pay a fine, or die. And those jihadists, what they did was to, they would mark the homes and businesses of the Christians in the city and the mark that they would put on the door frames, the doors, the, the walls there in the front of those buildings was the 14th letter of the Arabic alphabet. It is our Roman letter N, and it stands for Nazara or Nazarene, which is a pejorative, insulting way in the Arab world of referring to Christians as Nazarenes. And that was the mark. That was how they were identified. That's how you would know. That's who owns this property. The, uh, the interesting thing was the response of the world to this news and the solidarity that built up very quickly. Uh, many began to take, tell that story of the persecuted Christians there in Mosul and actually to take the mark upon themselves in a wide variety of ways, that mark. Now, no, I doubt, no doubt, no few of you know here this morning that there have been no few marks that Christians have taken up upon themselves through the centuries to identify themselves, this is who I am, and this is who I follow. It's worth noting, however, that there's actually but one mark that Jesus has given us. 
There's really but one mark that Jesus Himself has given to His followers that is intended to mark us, that is intended to set us apart from the watching world such that the watching world can look and see who we follow, an authenticating mark. Uh, It is our love for one another. It is our love for one another, and that's just what this text is getting at here in John 13. Uh, The setting, the setting is worth knowing. This is Jesus knows. He knows that the moment of His betrayal and His death is upon Him. The hour has come. The hour has come. And He is preparing His disciples for that moment as well as His eventual departure, His ascension to heaven. He is preparing them. He is pressing in on them. The most vital, essential things that they need to know, that they need to understand, to live out and grapple with, uh, He's pressing those things in upon them. And again, this essential need that, that they have to love one another. This is what Francis Schaeffer referred to as the mark of the Christian, the very mark of the Christian. And, and, and well, he did call it that, because what Jesus has in mind is that the world may know that we are His disciples, we must bear this mark, that the world may know that we are, in fact, His disciples, we have to bear this mark. Now, in order to do that, in order to run in that direction, in order to live out this, this out, this, this command, and in, even in any poor way, there are some things we've got to grapple with and understand and embrace, and uh, at least these three things from this text, breaking this up, and, and I'm going to do the best we can over the next few minutes. First, understanding this command, and that will be something of a recap of the last two weeks, just real quickly. So first, understanding the command that Jesus is giving, and second, the promise that He is giving. And then thirdly, the condition of the promise, okay? So you see those three things, the command itself, the promise that Jesus is giving tied to that command, uh, but also then the condition regarding the promise itself. So let's look at these three things in, in turn. First John 13, 34, the command. And again, this is going to be something of a recap of the last two weeks, but a really quick recap. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Uh, what is it that He is telling us we need to do? Who is it that we are to love? Well, on one level, we have to say we are to love all people. We are to love everyone, to show love to everyone. Everyone is our neighbor, as Jesus tells us. So we are to love everyone. Everyone is created in the image after the likeness of God. So therein we are to love everyone. But we are most especially to love every Christian. We are most especially, we are to love everyone, but we are most especially to love every Christian. Given the shared relationship and partnership that we have, given the the deepest bonds that hold us together, uh, we are most especially to love our fellow Christians. That's who we are to love. How are we to love? How are we to love? Uh, That's worth noting here as, as well. What's the mark? What's the standard? It's to be an agape love, the the Greek word, an agape love, a sacrificial love, a love that gives itself for the well-being of another person, that pours itself out for the flourishing of another person, 
Uh, it is a, a, a costly love. That's the kind of love that we're, we're talking about here. Um, it is a love that loves in imitation of the one that we follow. Uh, this is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to love who He loves and how He loves. Uh, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, of course, to follow in His steps in, in that sense, to love who He loves, to love as He loves, to love as He has loved us and indeed how He loves us now, how He loves us now. This is the new command. This is, this is the new command. As followers of this Lord, as subjects of this King, as disciples of Jesus, our ears must be sharply tuned to His voice, our feet must be set to run long in the path after Him. His agenda must be ours. Not, don't never reverse that. His agenda must be ours. And what is it that He has said so plainly that the world may know that we are His followers, we are to bear the mark. We are to bear the mark. Okay, that's the command. Okay, but that said, here's the second point. There's a promise, an astounding promise. If you just listen to what Jesus is saying here, there's an astounding promise that He makes tied to that command. And we see that as we read just a little further. So, verse 34 again, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Let's just stop there. By this, by that love, by that kind of love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, note the universal scope to the promise. Um, there's, there's no narrow confining here to a particular time or place or people. This is incredibly broad. Jesus is saying anyone who sees this will be affected in some way, in some way. Anyone who sees this will be impacted in, in some way. This sign, this mark cuts through and across all lines, any line that we might want to create. There really aren't any. That's the universality, if you will. Of the, of, of the impact, the potential impact that this sort of love can have. Why? Because a clear message is being sent. A clear message is being sent by such love. That a distinction is, is being made. Look, look, the Christians, we may look the same. You know, moving out there at Walmart or Starbucks or, or, or the mall or just out walking in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces, out on posts or whatever it may be, in our schools. We may look the same. But by in loving one another in this way, we're showing ourselves to be not the same. Something otherworldly is going on there, and I, I don't use that word lightly. Um, something profound is manifesting itself. Something along the lines of what we read of in Acts chapter 11 in the city of Antioch. As people were watching the, the impact of the gospel upon these Jesus followers, and they could see there was a completely other 
identity that they had, a completely other sense of loyalty that they had. They had to invent a term in the city of Antioch. You can see it there, referred to in Acts chapter 11. They had to invent a term to, by which to describe these people. They are Christians, Christians, because it was something so profoundly otherworldly, different, unnatural, supernatural about them. This command comes with a promise that people will know, that the world will know, that we are Jesus' disciples. This command comes with a a promise. Friends, this is beyond any church marketing scheme we could come up with. This is beyond the most brilliant publicity strategy that could ever be invented. This goes, the potentiality here goes far beyond any food we could serve, any facility that we could build, any services that we could offer, any programs that we could plan, any sermons that could be preached. Jesus is saying here, however good, whatever merit there may be in, in those things, there's only there's one universal draw that will have a magnetic, compelling effect upon the hearts of the watching world. Only one. Only one. It's the mark that the world may know we are followers of Jesus. We must bear this mark. Now, what is the mark? That takes us to the the third point the condition that Jesus ties to the promise that is coupled to the command. Now, He's hinted at it already. He's hinted at it already just in verse 34 and 35, but if we go just a little bit, dig a little bit further into verse 35, it becomes what is implicit now becomes explicit. Let's read it again. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This love is an observable love. It is not a theoretical love. It is not a love that is simple or a unity that is but limited to organizational charts, like we're a part of this group, you know, in that sense of unity. It's, it's not um, a unity that is made up of confessional standards, you know, that we all share this common belief system, and so therefore we're under this one, you know, a grouping. It's not that. It's not even, Jesus is not even speaking here of the spiritual unity that we all share as brothers and sisters. Why? Because that's invisible. All those things are invisible. Jesus is speaking here of something that the world can see with their eyes. Something that has to be visible and and, and obvious and stands out and is markedly different than anything else in the world. This observable love is is a genuine love. Again, the agape love, the the love that pours itself out, the love that gives of itself for the sake, for the building up, for the flourishing of another person. Please hear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying, what I'm about to say, but this does need to be said. 
the world does not care about our shared beliefs. The watching world in our society, our culture today, does not care about our doctrinal statements or our spiritual convictions. We live in a post-truth world. The world does not care about those things, our shared beliefs. But our mutual love for one another will get the attention of the world like a comet blazing across the night sky. The world may care nothing. And why would they? Why would we expect that? The world cares nothing for our doctrinal statements, however brilliant or sharply they may have been put together and nuanced and all those things. The world cares nothing for those things. But love, love lands. Love lands. It's what Schaefer, Francis Schaefer, referred to as the final apologetic. And he wrote that Oh, 40 years ago. Love is the final apologetic. John Chrysostom, one of the, the great preachers from the 4th, 5th century, in a sermon put it this way. If you've got your quotes and notes, you can see it. It's printed there. Passing over the miracles that they were to perform, Jesus makes love the distinguishing mark of His followers. Miracles do not attract unbelievers as much as the way you live your life. And nothing brings about a proper life as much as love. That's John Chrysostom, 4th, 5th century. Tertullian, one of the great theologians from North Africa, 2nd, 3rd century, said, uh, by the way, just a shorthand, on, a quick thing on Tertullian. Tertullian was known to, to have taken the approach in his writings that the, the best approach, uh, the, the best uh, defense is a good offense. So he was pretty aggressive, pretty aggressive in coming after the beliefs of his day. And in one of his writings, he kind of takes a step back and, and knowing the reputation that Christians had among the Romans, and in a sense a good reputation regarding their morals, regarding their ethics, regarding their sacrificial lifestyles. Tertullian, it was though in one of his writings he took a step back and said, and this is the off-quoted remark, see how they love one another. See how they love one another regarding the Christians. That's second, third century. What is it then and now that would stand out? How would agape love stand out second, third, fourth, fifth, 21st century? Well, obviously, our sacrificial service one to another, that's part of the answer. It's part of the answer and one that, that needs to be given. Our pouring ourselves out for the good and the benefit and welfare one for another, to be sure. But there's something else that begs to be said. And, and again, back to Francis Schaeffer and her, his little book, The Mark of the Christian. He spoke of the difference of our differences. The difference of our differences, not that we don't have differences, but that we have our differences in a different way. 
the difference of our differences, that we disagree when we do as believers, we walk in both at the same time, not one without the other, truth and love, truth and love. And to take one out of either one, either one out of the formula is a caricature of the gospel. A caricature, a gross distortion to take either one out of that formula, truth or love, is a gross distortion of, of the gospel. The, to, to show forth a difference in our differences would be to exercise what the Puritans used to say, to grant charitable judgments, to think first the best of another, to not assume the worst of another. To be willing in the course of a disagreement to know the other side, to know the other party's position so well, you can quote it back to them better than they quoted it to you, and never falsifying their position in any way, never exaggerating or downplaying a certain aspect of where they're coming from. That, friends, and a whole host of other things, is to show forth the difference of our differences. Why? Because it's completely different. That's agape love in the context of conflict. There's something else that has to be said regarding what Jesus says here in John 13, 34, 35. It's quite striking. It's quite sobering. Jesus is giving, think with me, Jesus is giving the watching world the right to judge whether or not we are in fact Christians by whether or not we love each other. Let me say that again. It's very clear in the text, but it's so sobering it has to be repeated. Jesus is giving the watching world the right to judge whether or not we are in fact who we say we are by how we engage with one another. And if the world decides to take him up on this and take us to task and saying, we have fallen short of what we say we profess, how then should we respond? Here's how we should respond. By dropping our defenses, going home, closing the door, turning off the phone, and weeping. Weeping. Why? Because Jesus has said that the world may know we are his followers. We are to bear this mark. That's John 13. John 17, there's a subtle but important nuance, distinction that Jesus makes there. John 17, verses 20 to 23. This is in Jesus' prayer later that night. Uh, he has prayed for the 11. He has um, prayed for himself. He's prayed for the 11. And now, if you really hear what he's saying, he's praying for us. 
Verses, I'm just going to read verses 20 to 23 of John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That, that's, friends, that's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, listen to what Jesus is doing here. John 13, he says, our love for each other is how the world will know that we are who we say we are. Okay? That's John 13. John 17, similar but different. He says, our love for each other is how the world will know whether Christianity is true. Does that not take your breath away? Cause you to tremble just a little bit? That should take us into deep repentance, every one of us and a leaning into Him and utter dependence for His mercy. Every one of us. Think of it this way. Jesus wants this for the world. He wants all peoples to know. All peoples, all languages, all cultures, all tribes, all groups, all parties, all com- peoples from all communities, all races, all occupations, all classes, all ages. He wants peoples from all peoples to know, to know. And how will they know? This is what he says. This is how they'll know. This is how will they know? This is how they'll know. By your love. This is how, I want them to know. This is how they'll know. By your love. I want them to know. This is how they'll know. By your love. And I want them to know. Here's my question of myself and of all of us. Do we? Do we want the world to know? Do we want our children to know? Do we want our neighbors to know? Do we? Do we love? That's a pretty good way of indexing the degree to which our hearts actually want the world to know. Do we love? Do we love? Jesus has said, He's made it very clear that the world may know we are His disciples. We are to bear this mark. May He give us ears to hear. Let's pray. Lord, these are comforting words to be sure because for You to say, We are to love as You have loved us. Oh, my goodness, how You've loved us. What a comfort. What an encouragement. And You want the world to know of this love. What an encouragement. What comfort. Indeed, the only reason we know of Your love is because You want us to know this love. So these words are just 
so comforting, but also so challenging. The world often has so little reason to know because the mark is often so hidden. Our conflicts, our divisions, our differences, sadly, are often so, so much the same. And great opportunities go lost. Help us to hear the comfort in the words. Help us to hear the challenge in the words. Oh, Jesus, please have mercy. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon your people? Have mercy. Revive us again. Oh, would you revive us again? We pray in your name. Amen.